Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello and welcome to the latest Laz and Powers podcast. We are in day 35, I think, of, of, of a hockey list existence, yet here we are, still going strong. Scott, how you doing out there? Good, good. I, I, I'm glad you count because I have no idea like when this started or like... That was a guesstimate. It was not a count. <laughs> I usually follow... I don't uh, even which, know what day of the week it is. Charlie has the day counter on his uh, his Twitter, uh, Charlie Rumeliotis. Um, and that's how I usually uh, plan my days around whatever Charlie's tweeting. So, I know it's day thirty-one of um, of my personal quarantine. That's like when the when we really decided we had to step in. That's easy for me because it was my daughter's birthday party was literally the last day you were allowed to have a birthday party. So we got it in just under the wire. So I know it's been thirty-one days since then. But yeah, time is a flat circle, and it's really lost all meaning at this point. And everyone left your child's party exposed. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I am. I am the epicenter of the uh, coronavirus epidemic in Northwest Indiana. Um, we uh, we'll, we'll get to it next week, but we obviously uh, we released the uh, the Blackhawks fan survey, and um, uh, we got some stuff to talk about. But we'll have a piece up on the Athletic about our own thoughts and our own thoughts on people's thoughts, and um, we certainly have some uh, television shows and other things we like to get to eventually. But uh, I feel like this is is more important today that we actually have a guest, which I think is our. It's our first official guest on the podcast in, in two years. I, we've had other writers stop oh, by, but true. this is yeah, our yeah. first like actual like you know non friend of the program. <laughs> <laughs> first non athletic writer. Oh, you had You're exactly yes, exactly. Um, so, but uh, yeah, today we have uh, former Blackhawk Steve Larmer, and uh, he's been nice enough to uh, to come on our podcast. And uh, yeah, we uh, I know we have some fans' questions. We certainly have some questions, but it'll be, uh, yeah, it'll be nice for something, uh, a little change. And then hopefully we can, uh, if this goes well, maybe we can do this more often on the podcast and, uh, while we wait for hockey to actually return. All right, let's bring Steve in. Steve, thanks for joining us. Um, first of all, how are you doing? How's the family doing? How are you living through uh, our fun coronavirus era? Uh, everyone's good and healthy, and uh, we're maintaining our social distancing and you know things are a little bit different right now and everything's pretty much shut down so other than grocery stores and uh, uh, pharmacies 
essential services, as they say. So the beer store and the liquor store are still open too. <laughs> Very essential these days. <laughs> what, what, what have you been up to, uh, I, I guess, bef- before this? Uh, not too much, really. Uh, the youngest son's been playing hockey up here in the OHL for the Peterborough Pete. So, uh, their season was shut down with about six games left, uh, before the playoffs started. So, uh, and everything's been canceled, uh, right through, uh, all the playoffs and the Memorial cup. So, uh, their season won't start till next fall, hopefully. And, uh, that's really been about it. You started with the Peets, didn't you? Yeah, I played my first year there as a 16-year-old, too. You weren't exactly like a can't-miss prospect. You were a fifth or sixth rounder, was that right? Uh, yeah. Were you expecting, did you always think, I mean, you had some big years in Niagara in the juniors. Did you always assume that you would be uh, not not just in the NHL, but a productive NHL player? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's a long time ago. The, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> You know, I think it was always one of those things. If it, if it happens, it happens, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, uh, you know, there were lots of, you know, lots of other things that I could have done. So uh, it wasn't like it was a, a necessity, or, or you know, uh, I'm sure it was a dream to be able to one day play in the NHL. But uh, you know, I mean, it's a hard road to. A hard road to uh, pursue too. So we, uh, I think I just kind of, you know, went with the flow and, and uh, things ended up working out. I mean, I had a, a you know, a, a, a pretty good junior career and, and everything and ended up getting drafted by the Blackhawks, which was nice and, and everything. And, uh, you know, spent a year playing in the American League down in Moncton, New Brunswick and uh, with my good friend Steve Ludzik, and and uh, you know things kind of went from there. Did you feel like you were being overlooked as a sixth round pick, or was it just a matter of getting drafted and and getting a chance? Well, I think the draft is a, a an imperfect science, <laughs> so <laughs> it's you know I think the fact that you get drafted and once you get drafted, I don't really. I mean, obviously, your first-rounders and second-rounders might get a little bit of a longer look in training camp and, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you're getting the same, you know, whether you're drafted in the first round or the 15th round, you're getting the same look when you, when you, you know, you get to training camp. So it's, you know, for a lot of these kids today, it's, you know, what you do with that that opportunity and, and being prepared for it. So you came in, you won the Calder Trophy rookie year, 90 points in 80 games. You played 80 games every year. I think your 11 years without missing a game is the most mind-boggling stat to me, just being around hockey. Um, tell, what, what was it like? You know, we, we hear a lot about how bad things were with the Blackhawks in the early 2000s, the late 1990s. What was it like playing for Bill Wirt's team in the 80s? How were you treated? How was your daily life? Uh, how was your NHL experience in Chicago? Uh, it was actually it was fabulous. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, I, you know, I look back at you know in in the in the eighties, and uh, you know, I mean, obviously it's been a long time since I've played in that, but the fact 
that I got to play with some incredible teammates. Uh, you know, it's, it's still one of my greatest memories, uh, having the opportunity to play with a guy like Tony Esposito, who, you know, a Hall of Famer, um, and somebody that I idolized as a kid growing up, uh, and being able to, you know, play on the same team with him for a couple of years was, you know, extraordinary for me. Uh, you know, we had a lot of really, really good players and, and, and not only were they good players, but they were good people. Guys like Dougie Wilson and Bobby Murray and Daryl Sutter and, and, uh, Greg Fox and Rich Preston and, uh, you know, it goes on and on and on. Dennis Savard, Al Secord. I mean, all, all, uh, you know, great role models for me to, you know, be able to learn from. Those first couple of years where you guys, you guys have pretty set lines with, with those guys. I mean, just looking at the numbers from the rookie season, just up and down the lineup, just the production you guys had. Yeah, no, I, I mean, basically, you know, the, the year I played Moncton or whatnot, and, and then the next year coming to Chicago and, uh, what happened was Orville Tessier was our coach, uh, with the Moncton, New Brunswick Hawks. Uh, the year before, and and he was named the head coach uh, for the Blackhawks for the next season. So I think there was about five or six of us that came from Moncton with him um, to play on that Hawks team the next year, which was comforting. Guys like Stevie Ludzik, uh, Jack O'Callaghan, Dave Feimster, I think Billy Gardner and, and Ricky Patterson had spent most of the year before that up there. So... Um, Bobby Janisak, our goaltender, who was from Chicago. Uh, so, you know, it, it was nice having a coach uh, that first year, uh, having played for him the year before and, and, you know, feeling comfortable with him, uh, you know, being in that environment at the NHL level. We did a Blackhawks fan survey over the last week, and uh, a lot of our readers and a lot of our listeners kind of came to the Hawks in the, the Ronick Amanti era or during the Kane and Taves era. So, you know, they know who Dennis Savard is, but I don't think they really got to see him much, uh, a large portion of the Blackhawks fan base. Could you describe what kind of a player he was, what it was like to watch him night in and night out? I think people <laughs> underestimate how great he was. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, th- this guy, I think... You know, I mean, you're playing in the era with, like, Wayne Gretzky and Brian Trache, and, I mean, there were some Mario Lemieux. There were some friggin' great players. And uh, I always tell everybody, I said, you know, Dennis Savard was the guy that when he, when he got the puck, people stood up. They got out of their seats to watch what he would do because he was so creative and so inventive and so quick and and just uh, uh, an exciting player. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, being on the ice with him at the same time or actually had to stop and sit and watch in amazement <laughs> at, at what he could do. And, I mean, they still, to this day, on uh, our, our sports station up here, TSN, you know, his goal, his shorthanded goal against the Edmonton Oilers, and I don't know what year it was, but... You know, he he beat six guys. He actually come back and beat one guy twice to score a shorthanded <laughs> goal. And I can remember, you know, being on the ice at the time and, and basically for the last 10 seconds just standing there and watching in amazement at, at what he could do. And uh, 
I mean, he was by far one of the most talented players during that time. Do you have anything that you're specifically proud of in, in your career? You know, obviously you scored a lot and you did the games played and won the cup. And I guess when you look back, is there anything that especially comes to mind for you? Well, I think with me, it's always, you know, I had a, I had a great 11 years in Chicago going there as a real young kid and, 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 uh, you know, becoming a man and, and all of the great teammates that I had the opportunity to play with that, that helped shaped me. So, uh, you know, those are the memories, the relationships that you have with your teammates and, and you know, the ups and downs of a season and playoffs and going through that emotional roller coaster. And, you know, we always had really tight teams in Chicago. So it was, uh, you know, a real family atmosphere in the dressing room and, and everybody got along with everybody. And it uh, it was a real nice place to play. Do you have any good Troy the, Murray stories? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> well, share, please, because that's all he does is share stories from the old days. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was this this one day in practice where where Troy Troy and his whole line got kicked off the ice uh, after doing a, a drill where you you like a three on no drill, but it's like a weave or whatever and. And uh, all three of them got to the far blue line and, and, and hit each other and all fell down. <laughs> and, and Orville kicked them off the ice right after that because he thought they might have got hurt if they stayed on the ice any longer. <laughs> Yeah, everyone everyone always tells me everyone always tells me that Murray was like he hated doing media more than anybody else. And now he's in the media. Is that yeah. do you, do, is that funny to you guys to see him as a as a radio guy doing interviews and things? Well, it's a, it's a funny world that way. Eh? What goes around comes around. So <laughs> no, I, I you know it's it's interesting to see you know guys like uh, Troy and Eddie Olchek and. And Stevie Conroy, who have, have gotten into that and kind of reinvented themselves, and I think, you know, being former players, it gives them a little bit more credibility when they're when they're talking about the game and different situations, you know, that that happen on the ice and why these things might happen and, and whatnot. It gives the audience, I think, a great insight into, you know, what players are actually thinking and, and how, you know, how quick they have to make their decisions. Let's talk about the the way things ended in Chicago. I, I, people know. I think again, it's a, it's a young fan base. They don't know all the details. Uh, you were a year removed from a, a Stanley Cup final appearance. You had the the consecutive game streak, but you wanted out. You didn't like the direction the franchise was going. What went into that decision? Do you have any regrets about how you handled it? Or I mean, obviously it worked out. You went to the Rangers and won the cup. But uh, how did that whole situation play out in your mind? Well, I think for me it was we had that run to the the finals against Pittsburgh, I think in 91. And, you know, the, the next couple of years, you know, we kind of never got any better and maybe even took a couple of steps back for that matter. But uh, it, it, it was, you know, for me coming up and, and playing with a lot of the guys that I played with, the Dougie Wilsons and the Bobby Murrays and the Daryl Sutters and the, you know, the Ricky Pattersons and Billy Gardners and Stevie Ludzik's and even Dennis Avard and that. There were, you know, a lot of changes going on. And, and a lot of the guys that I had, you know, spent, you know, five to 
10 years playing with, we're all kind of moving on and, and whatnot. And you're kind of stuck just sitting there looking around. <laughs> I'm like the last man on the boat. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so it was like, you know, when I was getting older and, and, you know, I kind of had a feeling that, you know, it's like being stuck in neutral. You're not moving forward. You're not going backwards. So I thought, it probably would have was a good time for me to kind of move on and, and go to a team that, that you know, a, a younger team that maybe didn't have a chance of making the playoffs, but being around a whole bunch of, you know, younger kids to get re-energized and, and help teach them like so many guys that I played with helped teach me and, and whatnot or, or, you know, how it ended up working out and ended up in New York you know, going to a team that had a legitimate chance to win the Stanley Cup. Was Keenan any different in New York than he was in Chicago? Uh, <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my biggest fear. It was like, oh, God, here I go. I'm going from the <laughs> frying pan right into the fire again. But, uh, no, I actually enjoyed uh, I enjoyed playing for Mike. Uh, he gave me a lot of opportunities. Uh you know, to, you know, step up and up my game a little bit more and take on more responsibility. And, uh, you know, he gave me the opportunity to play, uh, you know, on the penalty kill, which I had never had done before. Uh, you know, he, he brought me along to the Canada Cup in 1991, which was a great experience. So, uh, you know, I owe, owe a, lot to, a lot to Mike. And then, you know, having brought me into... Uh, New York in 94 and, and, and having the opportunity to win the Stanley Cup, which was a, a blast. We had a lot of guys on that team uh, that I had played with in Chicago. So, uh, you know, by the, by the time playoffs rolled around, there was a lot of familiar faces uh, in that dressing room. We had guys like Greg Gilbert and Mike Hudson and Brian Noonan. Uh, so it was, it was uh, comforting. Eddie Olchak, too. So, I mean, it was... It was a great experience. Is, is it? We, we've had a few guys come through Chicago recently, and 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 you know, chasing a cup late in their careers. You know, Michael Hanzus, Antoine Vermette, Brad Richards, Kimo Tiemann. Is it weird when you spend your whole career with one team and then go somewhere else and win the cup? Is there? It, does it? Does it change it in any way? Is it bittersweet in any way, or is it just the greatest thing in the world? Well, no. I mean, it's it's different. It's still the greatest thing in the world, but it's it's it's. You know, I think the one thing is you think about, you know, I mean, I had spent 11 or 12 years in Chicago and you're in the trenches every day with your teammates. And boy, it would be nice to share that with everybody that, you know, you had spent all that time with. But sometimes these things are out of your control and you got to be in the right place at the right time. There's a lot of luck involved. Uh, you know, you, you know, you got to stay, your team has to stay healthy. Your goaltending has to be outstanding and, and. You know your matchups once you get into the playoffs have to have to you know work out for you in a sense. So um, no, it was a it was a wonderful experience to go through that run in uh, in New York in the in the playoffs. And uh, you know it was disappointing. And I think in '91 when we went to the finals against Pittsburgh and lost uh, four straight. But you know you you kind of. Having never been there before, you kind of learn from these things. So it was a it was a good opportunity in New York. 
I was looking through the box scores of that Penguin series, and it's. I, I know you guys get swept, but it's. It seems like every game you guys were nearly in, and even that first one, I think you guys led three nothing, four one. And how much did that dictate it? And I guess what are your memories from that series, and maybe how you guys maybe not being that far off from them? Well, I think you know the worst part about that whole thing was going into that into that series against Pittsburgh. We had set a record for the most consecutive wins in a row in the playoffs. So, you know, we were on a roll going into Pittsburgh. I think we had won like eight or nine games in a row uh, to get to where we were. So we were feeling pretty good of ourselves. And then you get into that game and I think we were up three to one or four to one with, you know, going into the third period at least. And then, you know, the tide shifted and, and we ended up losing that game, which was, uh, you know, a real heartbreaker for us especially having the lead, but, you know, we had the opportunity, you know, we didn't play for two days, so, you know, we had the opportunity to regroup and, and uh, you know, come back out with a with a better effort, I guess, in, in the second game, but uh, it's hard, I think, when you, uh, when you go through these things, you know, you, you always got to stay in the present, and, and, you know, you're playing in game two or whatever, and your mind's still on game one, where if I if I had done this differently, if I had been there, or you know what more could I have done? So you know we were kind of stuck in the past a little bit, and and ended up losing the second game also. So so after you know you came up short there, that was kind of the the the, the highest point you reached with Chicago. You get traded. What was your relationship like with the Blackhawks for a long time? Because now, you know, we see guys retire and they're immediately welcomed back into the fold. They're ambassadors. They do, you know, appearances. They make money off the Blackhawks still. It wasn't like that back then. How, how long did it take before you kind of – I know you did your, your one more shift a couple of years ago. That was a big deal to a lot of fans. Um, how long did it take for kind of things to cool between you and the Blackhawks? Well, I don't think it – for me it was – immediately <laughs> i mean i never had i never had a problem with it and i'm not one to hold grudges it's like life's too short to worry about that kind of stuff so i uh, mean i never i mean i was always uh you know somebody that was proud to wear that jersey for 12 years and i think it's the most beautiful jersey in professional sports so uh no i was i was always good with everything there was never a problem with you know going back to do anything or anything that they've ever asked me to do. I've never had an issue with, with any of that. So, you know, I'm real happy that, you know, they've been able to, I mean, it's been real exciting to watch them win three Stanley Cups in the last uh, 10 or 12 years. And I know it's a little tough right now, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, Rocky come in and, and turn that organization around along with Mr. McDonough and, and whatnot, and they've done a great job there. All right, so here's a $28,000 question. Um, <laughs> everybody, you know, every day I get tweets saying that the Blackhawks should retire your jersey. We did a, we put it in the poll, and um, what was it? Uh, 76% of, of, our, of Blackhawks fans want your jersey to be retired. Do you think your jersey should be retired? Should you be hanging from the UC rafters? Well, you must have a real aging uh, viewership. <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> I mean, to me, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. I mean, obviously, it would be a great honor, but at the end of the day, you know, it is what it is. So I'm I'm happy for the time that I had spent there and and, and having the ability to play with the, you know, all of the players that I played with. So, um, 
you know, I don't know what to say. It's, uh, it would be a great honor, but at the end of the day, I don't have any problem with anybody wearing that number either, because I think all numbers should be worn. <laughs> <laughs> What's it mean to you to have, I guess, so many people so passionate about it and obviously, uh, you know, so active even about it now that, you know, to at least want to make that push for your number? Well, I th it's nice, obviously, that, that people uh, remember you. But, uh, I mean, it's, you know, that was what, almost 25 or 30 years ago that that I played. So, you know, it's I've kind of moved on from that life and, and, uh, and whatnot and, and moved on and, and done many other things. So... I'm I'm happy at the place where I'm at right now. Sounds like the dog's still pissed about it, though. He wants that jersey retired. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, he's out wanting to chase the squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What the, the 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 you know you 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 sacrifice essentially your Ironman streak. I think it's the third longest in NHL history when uh, you were waiting to get traded. What's the worst thing you had to play through when you were playing 80 games every single year? What's what's the thing that you probably should have set out for but didn't? Uh, my back. Uh, my back went on me, and uh, there probably was about four or five games where I could hardly bend down to do my skates up. Uh, it was so stiff and sore and whatnot, and I'm not sure what happened, but we had like maybe about a four or five day break in the schedule or whatnot, and I ended up going to see the the pain specialist or whatever, and, and uh, ended up getting a, a shot in my back, and you know, the doctor said it was going to hurt for two days, but on the third morning you'd wake up and you could dance on tables, and he was right. So, so you were that really dancing on tables? No, no. Oh, I would have broke the table if I was dancing on it. But the uh, <laughs> no, it it actually worked. It uh, it kept held my back in tight. I never had back problems for about another. Uh, I think it was about five years after that uh, that it flared up again. So that probably was the worst. Uh, of it that uh, over my 11 years there. When, when you watch the game now, what do you think? Is there players that you'd love to play with or do you do you think your game would have fit nicely in today's game? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I can hardly watch the old games that I did play. <laughs> it's a much faster game now and, and all that stuff, so. Um, I don't even know, uh, you know, I mean, I don't even know if I could play in today's game. So I think that's always tough, you know, to track from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, because everything's evolved so much. So, uh, these players are in, you know, incredible shape and, and, uh, you know, the equipment's changed, the sticks, the skates, uh, everything's different. So I don't know if I could... You know, obviously back then, you know, to transform, I don't think I could keep up. Where, where did you guys practice back in the day? We practiced at the stadium. Okay. Yep. What's it like what, what, for them to, I, I guess they have now like a practice facility and all these, and even the United Center is probably different than what the stadium was. Oh, it's a big difference. I mean, you know, our dressing room wasn't real fancy, so... I mean, it was basically a dressing room, a training room, and, and uh, you know, a change room where we could hang up our dress clothes and, and whatnot and stuff like that. We never really had the hot tubs and the cold tubs and, 
nothing. We didn't, I mean, it was like walking into any arena and walking into a dressing room and, you know, you put your equipment on and so it wasn't, it wasn't anything too fancy. I can remember going in, in some mornings and whatnot, and you'd have to shake your equipment to get the cockroaches out of them. But, (laughs) you know, well, you were in the basement of the old stadium, right? So (laughs) you're underground, it's dark, it's damp, it's, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't beautiful. Did you ever trip going up those stairs to get to the ice? Uh, well, it's, yeah, but you're better off trip tripping going up those stairs than you are coming down them. So <laughs> I did trip going up them a few times, but never tripped coming down them. That's good. <laughs> One of our listeners wanted us to ask you, uh, who's the guy you hated playing against the most? Who was the biggest pain in the ass? Uh, probably. The 80s was full of them, man. Come on. Well, I, I probably playing against Montreal and Bob Ganey just because okay I mean he he was so he was so good and he was very fast so I mean in in you know they always kind of matched up you know especially in uh, the old Montreal forum they'd always match up you know Guy Carboneau's line against Dennis Savard so you know Carboneau playing against Savard Ganey was a left winger so I was the right winger so I mean he could spot me friggin 20 feet and still catch me. So I don't think he really had to worry too much about me, but, uh, uh, yeah, there were, it was a, you know, it was a little bit different of a game back there where you had to fight through a bunch of stuff and there was a lot more clutching and holding and, you know, open ice hitting and you had to be aware of whoever, you know, you always had your head up, you know, when Scotty Stevens playing against him when he was in St. Louis all those years. And I mean, every time you stepped on the ice, you were like, okay, where is, is Scotty out here? Where is he? Okay, okay, he's out here. So, you know, your antenna kind of, you know, gets a little bit more up. But, you know, it was hard hitting, open ice hittings, you know. It's a bit of a bit more of a maybe a physical game. Is more today's game is a little bit more based on speed and, and whatnot. All right. Well, I think we've taken up more of your time than we already promised we would. So uh, really appreciate you coming on. It's great to talk about the old times and uh, educate some younger fans and uh, bring up some fun highlights for the older fans. Uh, All right. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, stay safe, stay, uh, stay bored, and uh, we'll see you at the United <laughs> Center sometime down the road. I will. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for listening to another Laz and Powers. Uh, was, thanks for Steve Larmer for coming on and giving us his time. And uh, Mark, uh, I guess we'll be back at this next week, and uh, yeah, we'll have surveys, and uh, we continue to pump out content, and we'll have, uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot more fun stuff. So, for Mark Lazarus, I'm Scott Powers, and this is Lazarus Powers. Won't you let me try? As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.